we uh, timed the, our study of 1 Corinthians just right with Easter, um, but we've got uh, now to, to today, and it's all over next week, right? We're going to get all of chapter 16 in next week, but let's finish chapter 15 today. Uh, two weeks ago, Palm Sunday weekend, uh, my family... We left kind of early with all the snow days from school. We went down to see uh, my folks and my 93-year-old grandmother um, in Florida. And at one point, uh, we were all sort of updating one another on our various physical ailments. Um, My kids didn't have a lot to contribute, but, uh, you know, my grandmother has had strokes and uh, has pretty bad osteoporosis, uh, where she can break bones easily. My mom's knee has basically given out, and so she's looking at a knee replacement not too soon, not too far from here. Uh, my dad's back was really hurting him last year, and that's gotten dramatically better, but now it's his, like his hands, his arthritis in his hands. I beat him in golf. Um, that's the only way that happens. So, now listen, you youngins, you wouldn't really understand it, the Utes, all right? You, uh, but as you age, your body, I mean, Kath and I talk about this, your, your body becomes sort of like a whack-a-mole game. <laughs> Do you know that game in the, in the arcades where uh, it's sort of this board and there's, I don't know, seven uh, holes and they've got little plastic mole heads under the surface until it starts and then they start popping up and you get points from whacking them down, right? Well, that, that's our bodies. I mean, you know, one week I thought it was my back, you know, and now next week, when did my foot start hurting? And I don't know if you feel that or not, but we, you know, part of the fun of growing old with a spouse is you just laugh at each other as you, you know, you compare different things. Obviously, not all of it is funny. There are people dealing with very difficult problems and and a lot of pain. Um, Maybe you saw a little uproar recently after Stephen Hawking, the brilliant uh, physicist who was wheelchair-bound for most of his adult life, after he died, people paid tribute to him on social media, as people do now. And one specific tweet uh, from Gail Gadot, who plays Wonder Woman, right? Uh, She said this, rest in peace, Dr. Hawking. Now you're free of any physical constraints. Your brilliance and wisdom will be cherished forever. Well, people immediately jumped on that, on her comments, and accused her of being an ableist. I didn't really know what that was. It's just kind of like a racist or a sexist, but against handicapped people. And uh, I guess the suggestion that he didn't have a full life was very offensive. But I think that begs the question or brings up the question, sort of implied in what she said. Now you're free of any physical constraints. I think she was saying that there's an afterlife. And it brings up these questions is as we deal with bodies that age, that shut down, that have chronic diseases, what is our hope in the afterlife? 
Will we be burdened with those same problems? Or will we not have bodies at all? Or will we be given new bodies? Well, the Apostle Paul addresses those ideas in our text this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 35 through 58. As you're turning to it, remember the end of the Apostles' Creed. It says, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. This is the main text where we'd turn to learn about the resurrection of the body. Now, because of time constraints, I'm going to just, uh, usually I read the whole passage up front, but we've got communion still. Uh, I'm just going to read them as we come to them. But let's, let's start our time with prayer. Almighty, eternal, and merciful God, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Open and illuminate our minds so that we may better understand your word and our lives may be conformed to what we've understood. In Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. All right, the first seven verses, starting with verse 35, give us Paul's main analogy for understanding what the resurrection means for us. The idea that our earthly bodies are seeds. Heavenly bodies are the harvest. Let's read it. Someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for stars differs from star in glory. Now, much of the Greco-Roman world that the Corinthians probably had bought into or were so used to thinking in terms of a belief that since the soul of a person was good, but the body was bad and mortal and decaying, that only the soul would live on after death, not the body. But Paul's teaching here really contradicts those views. Now the question can't be, can God raise us from the dead and give us new bodies? Because if we believe anything about what the scriptures teach, it's that we affirm that God can do anything. And Christ, when he was here on earth, raised bodies from the grave, as well as restoring bodies that were disabled to wholeness, giving sight to the blind, letting the lame walk, healing diseases. So the questions are more, will he, which was answered last week, and how will he, and what will that look like? Those are today's questions. And 
Paul's a little in danger of violating the old teacher uh, saying there's no such thing as a stupid question, right? Because he gets those two questions out, probably they're exact questions, and then he says, you foolish person. You knucklehead. Just look at nature to understand it. The dead are raised the same way that we get plants and trees from seeds. You probably can't see this back there, but I have a pumpkin seed here. This seed has the potential to grow into a pumpkin, right? But it's not going to happen just sitting here in my hand, right? It has to get buried and then tended to properly. And then it can become what it was meant to be. Now, this is theoretical to me. I'm, do not trust me to garden anything to try to grow. But God will take the seeds that are our mortal bodies. They will be planted in death, and then he'll form them into something new, yet something consistent with who we are now. I'm sure it was hard for the Corinthians, as for us, to understand how our bodies would appear in heaven. I mean, think particularly if your body becomes mutilated or burned or blown up or something like that. Does that mean that that's how you're going to appear in heaven? Would your body just transfer that way? And Paul says, no. You have to see it as that seed that gets buried in death before coming to life. The seeds for this pumpkin and an actual pumpkin do not look the same, right? The seed of an apple tree doesn't look the same as the actual tree, right? But they carry the identity or the DNA of what they will become. So our current bodies are like that. They're like a prototype that will have some kind of continuity with our heavenly uh, spiritual bodies. Uh, there's a lot of speculation about that. I know uh, I've read Randy Alcorn's book on heaven, and he speculates that you will see one another and recognize one another at the age that you knew that person. That's speculation. It might be. Um, yesterday, I was, took the girls uh, to go get ice cream, and I told Tina, who owns Hershey's Ice Cream up on Battlefield, that I was preaching on this passage and just explained it very quickly, and that just told her I was going to get a new body in heaven so that I could eat as much ice cream as I wanted. And she told me that that was probably not a good application of this passage, <laughs> but I tried. But just as there are different bodies for humans on earth, for birds in the air, for fish in the sea, for planets and stars in space, right? All of those things that Paul mentions. There is a body that will be given that works in heaven. Now, this should also settle questions in your mind about whether you'll be the same person, right? He says stars differ from one another. We do too. It also speaks to kind of the lingering idea of reincarnation. I think there are people in our culture, even though it's easy to mock and ridicule, there are still people that think, oh man, I might come back as an eagle or a golden retriever or something. And 
Well, no, God will take that kernel and give it a new body that has continuity with who you are now. Paul continues this theme into his next letter, changing the imagery from seeds and harvest to tents and houses. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 4. We know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may be found naked. For while we, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. So how, how dramatic will this change be? Verses 42 through 50 say that they will be as dramatic as the images of the first and the last Adam. Right, these verses show the great contrast in what our bodies will be like, starting at 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. What is sown, it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Paul tells us our new bodies will be raised and completely changed and transformed. It will be glorious because they will be new bodies of God reflecting his glory. They'll be powerful. They will be imperishable. They won't wear out. And of course, will never face death. They will be intended to last and flourish through eternity. Our human bodies were created like Adam, but in weakness and frailty. And even as we don't reflect Adam in his original state because we are under the curse of the fall. But our spiritual bodies will bear the image of Christ, who is sometimes called the second Adam, but here called the last Adam. He was the first one to be given a resurrection body. The last passage called him the first fruits of the resurrection I've got to think that all of the Marvel comics and movies and, and all of the superheroes and the sort of the preoccupation with superpowers and super 
bodies is a projection or a reflection of the truth that one day we will be transformed. I'm not saying that you're going to be the Hulk or Wolverine or something. But there's something in our culture that knows there's truth there, that taps into biblical truth, even unknowingly. Now, according to Colossians 1.15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And then Romans 8.29 says that God's plan is for his children to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus. So verse 49 here says that we will bear the image of the man of heaven. That is simply the end goal of God working his redemptive transformation in us. That we will bear the image of Jesus, who is the image of his Father. We will reflect his image in a way that men and women will reflect him. Not that we will look like what he looked like here on earth, but that in a greater way, our resurrection bodies are patterned after Jesus's. Now we get... We get some idea of what Jesus' resurrection body was like, right? In the gospel accounts, he still had the scars in his hands that they could touch. He could still eat food, right? He ate breakfast with his disciples, even cooked it. But he could also pass through doors and appear suddenly. Now, Jesus hadn't returned to heaven at that point, so I don't think we can say that's exactly what our resurrection bodies will be, but it's a good starting point. Maybe you've shown up at a restaurant where, men, you forgot your jacket and you need that to get in. Or like my cousin, when we went to go play golf one time, didn't have a collared shirt, had to buy one in the pro shop. Or when we went to Israel when I was in high school, there were certain churches you couldn't go in unless you put a a robe on over your shorts and t-shirts. This is a small picture of that idea that we cannot be in heaven with our earthly bodies. We need, we must have that transformation to our heavenly bodies. Our earthly bodies could not survive, right? They're perishable. Our flesh and blood, as verse 50 says, cannot inherit the kingdom. Our bodies are not meant to live forever. These new bodies will be fitted for the spiritual realm, ready to breathe heavenly air, to eat heavenly food, to see heavenly things. Think about that. The scriptures tell us that if we saw God here on earth, we would die but we will be transformed to be able to see. Our bodies, our eyes even, will be adapted to that environment. And Ultimately, there's mystery. We don't really totally understand. There's not probably enough to get the clearest picture. But as with everything about heaven, it, it will make our experience on earth pale in comparison. Our greatest day on earth barely scratches the surface of the joy, wonder, and pleasure awaiting us in his kingdom. Now the next seven verses 
redefine the death of a Christian in the light of Christ's resurrection as a victory and not a defeat. Victory will be complete when we put on our imperishable bodies. Let's read 51 through 57. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall, not, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? And the sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you seen last year's movie, The Darkest Hour, yet? Gary Oldman won the Best Actor Oscar for portraying Winston Churchill. As he's making very difficult decisions for how Britain will engage the Nazi forces and enter into World War II. Obviously, Neville Chamberlain has appeased Hitler, believing that they can solve things through diplomatic solutions, and that's, that hasn't worked out. But there's still a lot of support in the government um, for peace talks. And so one official, Halifax, says, we're facing certain defeat on land, the annihilation of our army, and imminent invasion. We must negotiate peace talks. And Churchill responds, when will this lesson be learned? You cannot reason with a tiger when your head is in its mouth. Ultimately, Churchill has to decide how strong they're going to fight, even without a lot of help from the U.S., and knowing that a lot of British young men would be killed if they decide to go all in. But there's a great scene. He's on his way, I think, to Parliament, and he uh, kind of ducks out of his car and goes into the underground, and he meets a bunch of citizens, and he sort of asks them, you know, what do you think? Should we try to get favorable terms from Mr. Hitler? And they all yell, never! And so he's reminded that that is his mandate. And in his great speech, he says, what is our aim? I can answer with one word, victory. Victory at all costs. Victory in spite of all terror. Victory, however long and hard the road may be. For without victory, there is no survival. It's a great movie. Great speech. We see here that we need victory as well. Our enemy, Satan, is that tiger. Scriptures call him a roaring lion looking for whom he can devour. And he lures people in by promising them an easy life and deceiving them that they will be okay. But ultimately, he will destroy them. There is no negotiating peace. He must be defeated. 
as must death and sin, and you can't do it. God alone achieves victory at the cost of his son's life. Right? Verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is essentially the last stage in Christ declaring victory over all evil forces. Right? Because there's a sense of God having achieved salvation and victory in both Christ's death on the cross. Remember what he said? It is finished. As well as his resurrection, the triumph of his resurrection. But while the victory was complete from the point of view of Christ achieving his status as the atoning sacrifice for our sins, his final work and redemption will not occur until all of God's people are brought into the new kingdom and given their immortal bodies to rule and reign with their king. This is, this is actually the perfect week to preach this because we've just had Good Friday and seen and celebrated Christ's sacrifice on the cross, then his resurrection on Easter Sunday. But now we point to the final victory. Verse 54, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. We will have the full inheritance of our redemption. Satan will be ruined. Death will have no claim on any of God's children. Sin and the law will be irrelevant in the new heavens and the new earth. All of this happens because Jesus Christ is our great hope for salvation and for eternal life in our new bodies. He gave his life on the cross to be the one once for all time sacrifice that appeased God's wrath over our sin, paid the penalty of death that we deserve. I don't know about you, but as much as we try to ignore death, our culture puts graveyards where we don't see them, I think. We all know that death still stings. Death still hurts. We feel the pain of a loved one acutely. I have seen that pain, felt that pain. Uh, but I've seen people losing parents, spouses, even children. And the pain is real and deep. And the Bible doesn't tell us to act like death doesn't hurt. Because it does. Remember, Jesus wept about Lazarus' death even though he knew he was going to raise him. We can grieve. We can weep. We will miss the people close to us who die, but we grieve as those who have hope. Death is not the end. The deceased believer is having a way better time in heaven. Now, most of this passage has been explanation. I'm going to build my conclusion around the final verse. The imperative calling for our response. Verse 58. 
Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Your story doesn't end when you die. You realize that. Your, your life, you'll live on into eternity. Eternity. Forever. If we had any kind of perspective, we would realize that even if we live into our 90s, it's a speck on the whole timeline of when we will live. I was thinking about it like this. What if you were offered this deal at work? January 1st, you go in. Your boss says, I got a new deal for you. Full salary, full benefits, everything. You're going to get everything if you work really hard for one day. Then you can take the rest of the year off. I'm talking nose to the grindstone, do all the selling and paperwork and meetings, whatever you guys do during the week. Fit it all into one day. And then you can go to the beach, go to the park, travel, get the rest of the year off with full salary. Now, set aside the fact that, you know, a lot of us find purpose in our work, blah, blah, blah. But... (laughs) Who wouldn't take that deal one day of cracking down and then you get the whole year off? I think we would take that. That's our life and eternity. We have this life to respond to the call of Christ and labor for him. And then to spend eternity in heaven doing things that please both us and him basking in the beauty and the glory of his presence in our perfect resurrection bodies and our perfect pain-free relationships to one another. All the best days on earth pale in comparison to what we will experience then. I think I already said that, but it bears repeating. Tom already mentioned that we are going to have a the third of our series of nights of song. I forget exactly what we're calling them, but it's time to come. There's no sermon. Um, Just come, we sing, we read scriptures, we pray. The theme this, we've tried to have themes each time. The theme is going to be heaven. We're going to sing songs like better is one day. And when we all get to heaven, and it's packed. We're still working on it, but we will. I hope you can make it. If you have not yet put your faith in Jesus Christ, let your body that is aging be a reminder to you that you will not live forever here on earth. You may live another 40, 50, 60 years plus. You may die tragically next week. And your status as either redeemed and saved through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross or unredeemed and responsible to pay the eternal penalty for your sin will determine where you spend eternity. We plead with you to choose the glory of heaven, the promise of a new body and spending eternity with your loving Heavenly Father.
for those who are already Christ followers. I think sometimes we wonder if sharing our faith or caring for the poor, bearing the burdens of others, speaking the truth in love, all kinds of things that we do, we, we sometimes wonder what kind of difference it makes. If it makes any difference at all, Paul says it does. The resurrection gives all of these things meaning. Christ and our ultimately victory ultimate victory gives everything we do for his kingdom eternal significance our time on earth is valuable we have work to do for the kingdom it's the opposite mindset uh, that we heard in the last text the opposite mindset of the eat drink and be merry for tomorrow we die hopelessness no we know that anything we do in the lord has great worth and we'll live on into eternity. I want to close. Um, yeah, we got time. Um, you may have heard this story uh, just a couple weeks ago. In south of France, a member of ISIS had taken uh, hostages, I think, in a convenience store. And the police squad that was sent in, one of the lieutenants in the police squad, his name was Arnaud. Beltrame. And he went into the store knowing that this man had already killed someone in a car and several people in the store and that he was holding the cashier named Julie hostage and actually holding her. And there were several other people in the building hiding. And he offered to trade places with Julie. And the man agreed. And in the ensuing standoff, and as the police kind of came in, he, Arnaud, died with a knife wound to his throat. But Julie and the others who were hiding in the store were saved. And at Arnaud's funeral, World Magazine reported that his pastor said these words, It seems to me that only his faith can explain the madness of this sacrifice, which is today the admiration of all. He knew, as Jesus told us, there is no greater love than giving one's life for one's friends. I believe that only a Christian faith animated by charity could ask for this superhuman sacrifice. Living life in the perspective of eternity helps us to realize that from the mundane tasks of going to work, feeding your toddler, being kind to your neighbor, the little things, all the way up to the huge thing of giving your life for another person or for Christ are all worth it. If we already know that death has been defeated, that we win and that our heavenly bodies await us after death, we can walk forward with great confidence and joy and victory take a moment to pray and thank God for that truth and then I'll close us
Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that is life to us. Thank you that you tell us the ending. Thank you that we don't have to guess whether you win or not. You do, and there will be complete victory. Death, sin, hell, Satan will be defeated. And you will gather your people to yourself. Thank you for the truth that our bodies will be sown. We will leave these frail bodies that are prone to breaking down and decaying. And you will give us new bodies fashioned for eternity, equipped to thrive for the rest of eternity with what you have in store for us. God, we can speculate, we can imagine, we can only imagine. But you do give us some clues and we rejoice that we will rule and reign in heaven with you and there will be no death, there will be no mourning, pain, there will be joy. So Lord, help us to examine our lives and whether that truth is real to us, whether we have turned our lives over to follow Jesus, our great sacrifice, our great redeemer, and help us to live in light of these truths, that our labors are not in vain, that all we do for you matters. Thank you for your love and your grace. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, amen.